Once more, another edition of the Reef Lords Pod Academy. My guest, as we do on these podcasts uh, from Reef Lords, is Dora Lou. Hello, Dora. How are you doing? Good morning, Dave. I'm always doing well. Fantastic. It's great to chat to you again. I love our chats. I look, I look forward to them uh, all the time. Now, today, and I love the topic for today, trick or treats of your offer to purchase agreement. Now, this is a nod in the direction of it being October and uh, Halloween coming up. This OTP that people often call it. I know I've just been through it and somebody said to me, have you done your OTP? And I was like, huh? OTP? Oh, okay. Yes. Offer to purchase. Contracts in general are a little bit scary. There's those words that people use in there. We're going to talk about that today. So basically, we're worried about signing contracts. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I think we in general fear responsibility or obligations, right? Especially in the contracts, you don't know what you're signing and then you sort of panic um, because some of the jargons they use, terminologies that they use in the clauses are um, very foreign to you. So that's completely normal. And um, that's why, you know, Reflods thought uh, this episode would um, sort of, you know, unpack some of these common terms and jargons and terminologies that we use in property contracts. So you know what you're in for, and then there's not really much to be afraid of if you understand them. Okay. Now, as 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 I understand it, contract law in South Africa uh, is is adapted from Roman Dutch common law. So there's uh, very often there's all these words I don't understand because, you know, maybe they come from another language. Talk to me about some of the words from these property contracts. Yes, and a lot of these terms actually come from Latin words. So it is completely normal if you are unfamiliar with them. And um, yeah, that's just, you know, in the property industry, what we use in the contract, since it's adapted from Roman Dutch common law, like you said. So I think the most known term, perhaps, in the property contract is footstuds. Now, David, are you familiar with this? I mean, you've I- sold and then bought property. I actually am, but but more from from a, a sort of motor vehicle perspective. And I've always been told footstuts means as is. What does it mean in property, though? The same Correct. thing? Um, yeah, absolutely the same thing. So you are purchasing the property as is. Footstuts means as is or as it stands with the defects or anything that comes with the, you know, uh, fixture of the properties. So usually um, it appears in the second-hand homes that you're uh, you're buying, uh, but very rarely though in the newly built development contracts because developers do provide a period of warranty uh, on the property in terms of defects. Okay, now now when we talk about defects, what sort of defects are we talking about? Defects, they there are two types of defects, uh, and then they are also very commonly seen in the agreement. You know, which defects are guaranteed for so for how long? So you're gonna watch out for two types of defects. The first is patent defects. So those are the ones that are immediately noticeable on the on the property. So for example, a crack in the tile or crack on the wall or a 
broken uh, handle on uh, you know you know on the window so these are immediately noticeable okay these are called patent uh, defects so whereas the defects are not immediately noticeable or detectable they are called latent defects okay latent defects are something you know you can be more worried about because uh, firstly you can't really you know notice them uh, uh, upon the first inspection for example roof leaks okay and roof leaks on us is something that you won't be able to spot during a dry season when it doesn't rain so when when the raining season comes maybe you will discover the the roof leaks and that is you know what we mean by latent defects because you can't see it upon the first inspection and then if you are the buyer, um, you need to really read the clauses regarding these terms to ensure that you know you are actually safe. You are safeguarded uh, against these terms. Whether these defects are warranted by the by the seller or not. Okay, and how long are you protected? Is it three months? Is it five years? It really depends on what type of defects it, it is. All right, so professional home inspectors probably is the route to take um, to, to find one of those professionals to go uh, to do a thorough check on your property before you buy or move in. Yeah, I've I got to tell you, I had an experience with that. The first home uh, that, we, we, that we bought, it was a, an old semi-detached home. And okay. the guys didn't tell us uh, about the fact that there was like an extension they'd built on. And that that extension where it sort of met the, the 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 original house, that roof leaked terribly there, and we didn't pick it up. We didn't see what happened, and by the time we did figure out everything, it was it was just too late for us, and and it hadn't you know whatever the period was had now passed. So, what you mentioned there is incredibly important: is read, 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 and if you don't understand something. And I've learned this to, to my detriment. I didn't do it. But if you don't understand something, don't be embarrassed. Ask. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, roof leaks, you've experienced. It can be very expensive to repair. Be prepared. Um, if you're buying a second-hand home, uh, do a thorough check on the roof. Do even a leak test if necessary, right? Just to safeguard yourself. But obviously, at the permission, with the permission of the of the seller, do a roof leak and see if um, you know you can discover any leaks um, or damp issue uh, after the leak test. So there are professionals that can perform the task for you and give you advices. But it's expensive to repair roof leaks. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, if waterproofing wasn't properly done on the roof. Yeah, I, as I said, yeah. I had first-hand experience there. The other <laughs> thing that, that, that confuses a lot of people, and, and I was also one of those people, is the term occupation. Because mm -hmm. occupation and registration to me seem to be the same thing. You know, sometimes we get blind spots because we are in the, uh, in the property industry. But in fact, to a lot of purchasers, it is a quite 
confusing term. So occupation, um, although it seems very straightforward, right, it's different from registration. Occupation really just means that you legally occupy the unit upon fulfillment of suspensive conditions, where registration is when you are taking transfer or taking ownership of the um, uh, the property. So occupation doesn't mean you ha you are owning the property, right? So um, usually the term that comes with occupation prior to registration is occupational rental. So if you wish to occupy the property prior to registration of the property, just ensure that you check the contract for what the occupational rental amount is. Okay, so you're going to really be paying for that rental before you, um, you, you take registration of the property. Okay. And, um, yeah, if we give you a benchmark, um, the occupational rental usually does not exceed 1% of the purchase price. And I think it's always a good idea to negotiate with your landlord. Right. And uh, do some background research in the area and see what the rental is going for in the area so you have you know sort of like a supporting uh, facts to back up your negotiations and bargaining okay so th this is a very very important distinction here occupation and occupational rental is something that would happen before your bond registration process is complete so essentially you know, you can't turn around and go, well, I've, I've, I'm sort of, you know, I've gotten the bond. It's been approved. I'm waiting on it uh, to be registered. So the property's mine. Technically, it's not yours until that registration happens. Yeah. So, Dave, you've got it all because occupation, a lot of people confuse occupational rental with bond repayment. And a bond repayment only starts after your property has been registered. So, there, there are purchasers asking us the same question. Why am I paying occupational rental while I'm paying bond repayment? And they totally get it wrong because bond repayment only kicks off upon registration of your property. But occupational rental will stop on the day uh, that your property is registered. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Let's Let's move along because those are still some fairly easy terms to get your head around but what on earth are suspensive conditions because when you see something like that you immediately go ah, i don't understand talk to me about those um so suspensive conditions again for first-time home buyers you you might wonder what they are um these are really just a requirements for you as a buyer to fulfill before your property can proceed with transfer. The typical kind of suspensive condition would be, you know, the um, that your loan has been granted uh, or your full purchase price has been, you know, um, fulfilled in terms of either loan or form of cash or bank guarantee, whatever it is. So a suspensive condition can also include a time term uh, or, or a time frame as to when you must get the um, get the bond approved okay in order for this offer to purchase sales agreement to carry on to the next step towards a transfer um, okay that now that once it's been explained it makes a whole lot more sense and then what do we do 
in, in terms of if we move along now, if if there's a, a fraudulent transaction in, in the property, how do you how do you protect yourself from that? It's going to be a nightmare if you enter uh, into a contractor with fraudulent intention okay from the seller so for instance um, where we've encountered that the seller claims that the property is his so he owns the property and now he's putting the property on the market to sell and you enter into the offer to purchase without knowing that the seller is in fact not the owner of the property so what do you do then you know what you are totally innocent because you just want to purchase the property but the seller is not the owner of the property and in um, legally speaking he cannot sell the property to you but you've entered the, 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 the agreement of sale so in that case uh, look for the term bona fide or bona fide that's also a Latin word if I'm not mistaken so it really mm. translates into in good faith so both parties whether you are a seller or a buyer you enter the agreement with good intention and faith okay so he can't sell something that he doesn't own and you will not be binded to the um, offer to purchase agreement if that is the case so the term bona fide or bona fide is the treat for you as a buyer and not obliged for anything Okay, well that that's good to know because I mean I've heard some horror stories about these con men that have been trying to sell uh, a house that they rent and they've they've tried to sell it a couple of times to different people. So if that if that is there, if you enter into the contract in good faith, you know then we can't be held liable. Are you then entitled to claim damages against that seller? Yes, absolutely. So. Um you know, as much as the contract law is governed by, you know, common law in South Africa, if there is a fraudulent activity in there, that is also a criminal uh, um, legal issue. You get what I'm saying? So you can actually, you know, you're, you're 100% entitled to claim damages against this seller. Okay. Now, but is there is there a way that, that we can sort of make sure that the person that we are buying from is is honest about everything and is in fact the owner yeah that is a really good question so when you are doing research on the property that you want to buy ask your attorney to perform a an activity called deeds search so who is the owner of the property and when you enter the offer to purchase agreement on the seller on the seller um uh, you know space on the offer to purchase agreement it has to be the name that appears on the deeds search as the owner of the property all right so as we were saying so so what you guys as, as reflord suggest is if you want to verify the ownership of the property get an attorney and then do that deed search correct okay fantastic now one thing i've also come across is something called I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. A lien? Yes, yes. And, you know, I thought when you leaned, it was if you leaned against something. So I'm very confused here. Tell me, tell me about a lien. Uh, okay, it is a common term also in in the property um, in the property space. Okay, so 
a lien can be a debt placed against the property. So a lien is a claim against the property in case of debt owned. So in other words, a home loan or mortgage bond can be a lien. It's a type of volun voluntary lien. Okay, and um, if you purchase the property from the seller who hasn't paid the bond in full for the property, then the bank has a lien against this property. Okay, okay. so it but it doesn't mean that you can't buy the property while there is an active bond on it. Uh, it just involves a process of cancelling the seller's bond. But you know that's something the um, attorney will take care of so you don't really have to worry about that but what you need to watch out for is a non-voluntary lien what non-voluntary lien means is that the property is placed um, you know against a claim without the owner or the seller's consent that is you know for example there is a judgment issued by the court to retain the property because the owner did something or was in default for something, right? The owner has a debt that he can't pay up and he actually, um, you know, used this property as a lien and or the court places the lien against the property. So that is quite, um, quite something you need to watch out for. But again, I think Purchasers are going to ask, how do I verify whether there is that type of lien on the property? Again, do a deed search. And because lien is a public record, so they can't hide that fact from you. You just need to, you know, find it on the right channel and do a deed search for it. Okay. So once again, this is, this is where it's, it's very, very important uh, to do your homework before you just walk into uh, a property purchase. Now, there's another, there's another sort of term that I'm going to ask for some, some explanation on. I think we've got about two terms I, I still need some clarity on. Uh, and the first one is force majeure. What on earth is that? Because it, it sounds scary. Force majeure is, again, a Latin word. It means an act of God. Okay, so we humans don't have control over it, um, an event that's beyond one's control, right? So um, a very relevant and topical example of that is COVID-19. Okay, COVID-19 is considered a force majeure. David, I, I'm sure you are familiar with the situation where there were a lot of disputes around property between tenants and landlords, whether I need to be, well, whether landlord can evict tenants or whether tenants are still obliged to pay. So there were a lot of um, tension and dispute, right, between the two parties and even between buyers and sellers in terms of whether the suspensive conditions are met in time. What do they do if it's not because of COVID-19? Let's say uh, if the buyer signed the contract in March this year, when the COVID-19 lockdown actually happened, he or she would obtain a bond in April according to the contract. However, because of the national lockdown, the, you know, the condition can't be fulfilled. A lot of things were in chaos. Because this is an act of God that no one could actually foresee, Therefore, none of the parties should actually be held liable 
or claim damages against um, each other, right? And that is what the term force majeure means, that if it's, you know, an act of God, you can't claim damages against, uh, you know, the other party. You know what, this is exactly what happened. Uh, in fact, in, in terms of my mom's property that she was selling, we have spoken about this, but we had we had the buyer, everything was done, offer to purchase was completed, and uh, we were just waiting on the, on the bond, and then bang, COVID-19, and as a, as a result, nothing was getting done, so that deal fell through. We did have an opportunity, and, and we did that uh, in, con- in conjunction with the estate agent, to maybe extend the period of the offer to purchase, but ultimately uh, the deal fell through because of this force majeure in the form of COVID-19. Dora, before we wrap up today, the last one, and it, and it, it's, it kind of, to me, it, it sounds like friendly, but I don't think it is. Uh, and that's called pro amico, because I always think when they say pro amico, it sounds a bit like amicable, which is nice and friendly. <laughs> Tell me about it. I think Promico is also a treat um, in terms of property contracts. Uh, it doesn't usually, in fact, appear in the property contract, but that is a term that should put a smile on purchasers' uh, face. Okay, why I say that is because Promico means receive attorney's service for free. And that is usually not something that happens very often, but it does. Okay, so when the attorney says i'm going to do it pro mico it means um that he or she is not going to charge you anything for the service because you probably have a very good relationship between each other or it is um because you can't afford it uh, and it's a let's say it's a state matter um that you know, you need to go on the trial and you can't afford it, but you're compulsory to go on the trial, then, you know, that is, that can also be considered promico basis. So if wow. you hear this from your attorney, say thank you. You know, <laughs> return a very hearty thank you. <laughs> uh, very I, nice gestures from, from attorneys, you know? I, I'd love to, I'd love to hear if somebody ever has had an attorney that says that because I've certainly never come across that, but uh, you know, it's all it's all part of the the fun and games. Dora, thank you so much. Um, we had a whole bunch of mouthful of legal terms and information that we spoke about during this episode. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you uh, listening to it enjoyed it as well. Uh, if if anybody wants to know more or get in contact with you, what is the best way to do that, Dora? Please drop us an email on Catherine at reflords.co.za. So it's C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E at reflords.coza. Or alternatively, post on our Facebook page and we'll get back to you. And the Facebook page, you just look up Reflords and, and you'll find it. Correct. Wonderful stuff. Dora Lou from Reflords, thank you so much for chatting to us again. Uh, it's been a great episode. I learned a lot this time, and uh, I look forward to our next chat. Thank you. Likewise, look forward, as always, to our next episode. Go well. That was Dory Lou, my special guest. Stay close, enjoy listening, and uh, don't forget to tell all your friends about it. If you'd like to learn more about the property business, it is the Reflords podcast, and it is called Reflords Pod Academy. Until next time, take care of yourselves.